Exodus chapter 32, verse 11. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Brian Bales. I'm Jeremy Hodges. And we'd love to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss uh, Exodus 32 today. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. Our whole mission and hope with Walking Through the Book is that we... uh, basically come across to you in a way that uh, Bible, the Bible is not challenging. It's not something that, uh, that is difficult for us to understand. Now, it is going to be challenging in terms of application and, and making sure that we live up to the standard that God has set in his scriptures, but we want to help you uh, be able to read the Bible, to understand it better, uh, and any way that we can do that, uh, that we, we, we definitely want to help with that. Uh, but before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook if you search at Walking Through the Book, and you can message us there if you'd like. You can also email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. Uh, again, thankful for you being here with us today. And of course, uh, we have our uh, our hosts together. And uh, Jeremy, you doing all right today? In D.C. Uh, area, it got a little bit chilly last night. Uh, looking forward to having a pleasant day. Uh, the rain cleared out in this uh, in this region. If you happen to be up in the D.C. region, you can visit us. Uh, I work with the Wildercroft Church of Christ. Uh, it is at uh, it's in Riverdale, which is really just a suburb or a bedroom community of D.C. Uh, you can find us at wildercroftcoc.org, and you can find me. Uh, at jeremy.a.hodges at gmail.com. Bryant, uh, how are things uh, over in Savannah area? They're good. Uh, at the time of this recording, like we've mentioned in the past few episodes, I think, you know, we're, we've been recording during the coronavirus circumstances. So things are not normal, but uh, things, things have still been well. And uh, if you ever want to come through the area, I'm sure that this will end up being when things are probably going back to normal a bit. So uh, we're in the Savannah area and the website for the congregation is strivingforthefaith.org. And you can find uh, the address for the congregation and some information about it there. And uh, we've got a Facebook page as well, uh, Garden City Church of Christ. Um, So if you look at us up on on Facebook, you'll be able to find uh, uh, directions and get into contact with us uh, there as well. And uh, as far as the flow of the program, um, so every time we uh, get together for this study, what, what we're trying to do is just really let the text speak for itself. And so we're going to be reading Exodus 32 and just making some initial observations from the text itself there. 
Um, and when we're doing that, we're, we're going to be, you know, just m- maybe picking up on some things we haven't noticed before, or just some points of, of emphasis within the text. And then after that, we uh, try to make some connections with some themes that we see uh, branch out into other places in scripture. Um, so we might notice some things that relate to the uh, bigger context of Exodus or things that might go back to Genesis or uh, kind of weave through the uh, Old Testament in, in bigger ways. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be seeing some connections to Christ in the church as well. And then uh, we always try to end that episode looking at some applications as well that we can we can take away from the text. So, so uh, just a lot of a lot of simplicity, but we, we, we believe that there's there's so much depth and, and, and glory and power in, in the simplicity of the way that God's word is presented and, and in just reading and studying in this way. So we hope that we hope that you uh, are encouraged by following along uh, in the podcast today. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said, Tear off the gold rings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And Yahweh said to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Yahweh said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, 
and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath, and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side, and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the working of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf at the dancing. And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh. And go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about three thousand men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. And the next day Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out of your, from your book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, My angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made.
normally hear about Moses' anger with the tablets, but he's angry for a while. He doesn't just get over mm-hmm. it once he throws the tablets. I mean, he, I yeah, mean, he mad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When he, when he makes them drink it, it's like, whoa. No, he, no, he's, he's upset for real. Yeah. Do you have an idea of how long he's been up on the mountain? 40 days, 40 nights. 40 days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. 24 verse 18. And what's, yeah. what's ironic is back there, Moses specifically told Aaron, wait here. And he said with the elders, wait here in verse 14 and we will return to you. And he charged Aaron and her with the responsibility of leadership. So like all of that just collapsed. Hmm. And I like how it straight up puts everything like <laughs> at Aaron's feet because Aaron had let them get out of control. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, we mentioned before recording, I mean, this, this interaction between Aaron and Moses, it's like, I mean, it, it, I guess it's like, it's like when, when a your brother does something stupid and you just kind of look at him, you're just kind of like, how does this, <laughs> How did you do this? <laughs> What's of course, happening here? Of course, his terrible, his terrible line. Well, I, I don't know, right. man. I, just, I put it in there. The calf jumped out. Just, just jumped out of there, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's and, and you know what's what's interesting here too is that that uh, you know when there that he makes this golden calf. It says in verse four. You know, then they said, this is your God, O Israel. I mean, that's a plural pronoun following singular pronouns. Aaron is receiving all this stuff. He's making the calf. He is the one that ma- that's making it, it says. Is that like representative we as far as like were people under him making the calf under his direction? And then they said this or... No, I am think I pro- am I needling too much with this? No, I don't think you are. I okay. It seems that he makes it, but then the proclamation comes from the people who asked for it. Mm, it okay. seems that that Aaron tries to course correct poorly, but course correct in verse five when he says, "Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh." He tries to pull the people back to a worship in the real God using this idol as an image of a representation of the real God. Yeah. They are functionally replacing him. Aaron is sort of playing the middle. Yeah. It's the wrong kind of mediation. It's not going to work. It is. It is. The people want a thing but Aaron says, I'll give you the thing and we'll just call it the real God. Yeah. Yeah, I can see how that, that would make Aaron have a sense of justification in doing it. It's like, well, you know. Yes. Isn't that technically called, uh, I think the technical term I've heard before is syncretism? Yeah. I mean, that's what we call it now when you're trying you, to take two. Yeah. two different religions together. Yeah. Because, I mean, the reality... I mean, the reality is like that was, I mean, that was a thing. I mean, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's difficult to know like extra biblically exactly the inspiration for such a thing. Um, okay. So we do know that many of the gods in the Semitic area were 
associated with their vehicle. Like Baal is sometimes shown as the statue of the guy uh, with the lightning bolt. Um, or sometimes he's shown riding on a calf. And the calf is considered his vehicle. So the calf is oftentimes associated with the God that rides him. And it may mm-hmm. be that that's sort of really what's going on in Aaron's talk. Here you have an image and he calls it associated with the real God that is represented by it. And now I can't say that for sure because you also had them coming out of Egypt and they had the, they had Apis the bull. And so it's not like this is the only, it's not like the only bulls are in Canaan. They had just come out of Egypt where bulls were a big deal too. Uh, but it seems that Aaron's work is to sort of blend the two things. He can say, well, we're going to have this image, but it really represents the real thing. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a, it's like a placeholder, right? Again, we don't know the entirety of what he's thinking, but his, that process is not unknown to us from the other Semitic religions. Mm, right. Uh, and, and I think it's important too, that the, the text does specify that, uh, you know, it is a molded calf. It's some sort of molded image. You know, the question would be like, I'm not sure what size it was. Um, you know, things like that, but obviously they had enough gold from their time in Egypt to be able to put all this together. But this is, you know, it's, it's just sort of fascinating because the Lord hasn't, really demanded them to make something out of gold, except that he's given Moses the plans for the tabernacle and everything, but Which I mean, they haven't even made yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's not even there yet. It's like so a, it's like an irony. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, the stuff that could be used for the tabernacle for God's presence instead is being used to push him far away. Right. And, and, and the thing is once Moses deals with it right he just basically casts it into the fire until it vaporizes right because <laughs> i mean that's just wasted i, I know like for, for from example like from working at a jewelry store you can get gold so hot that it literally vaporizes it'll turn into like slag if you if you get it hot enough um and maybe it'll purify more i don't know but i mean the the, the whole main point is like the, you know, and then he says drink it drink it yeah Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just it's so it's yeah, uh, it's it's quite the scene. I know cuz round it so, to powder. He's so upset and I mean I'm with him. I'm with it. He yeah. is he made. Uh, I mean the, is is he he's the parent that, you know, finds the kid smoking <laughs> and said, "No, you're going to you're going to smoke this whole pack." That's exactly right. Go ahead, go smoke. Yeah. Want to smoke. What I think is funny about this too <laughs> is is the stark contrast between Aaron and Joshua. I love Joshua in this. Joshua is so pure in his mindset and so good that he, his first thought is, Oh no, there's a battle. We've been attacked. And they like, and you can just, you know, (laughs) the, the, the smash cut is, is Aaron's face is Moses face as he looks at the valley. He goes, nah, it's a house party. It's just, it's, (laughs) but, but Joshua, the only thing he thinks is the only, the only noise like that, that sounds like a fight. That's a battle. We've been attacked. 
it never once enters his mind mm. that the people would be engaged in that. Yeah. And I think well, it tells us a he, whole lot about Joshua. Well, and it strikes me with that, you know, there's the, 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 the contrast between the, the attitude going on where Moses is compared to the attitude of the people, you know, with, with Moses, with God, there is an incredible sense of somberness and sadness and anger and with the people, there's just a looseness and a joy and a happiness. And, and it's like they're just in, in the most opposite kind of places. I also like in verse 7, it said, The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people, whom yeah. you brought yeah. up in the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Yeah. It, uh, I don't know. As, as parents, sometimes this conversation comes up. Do you know oh, yeah. what your child did today? Oh, oh, so today it's my child. Oh, okay, okay. And that's that's kind of how this sounds. God has already distanced himself so much from the people that he he calls them Moses people. <laughs> mm. of, of course, the, the follow-up on that is, is God's characterization. I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's never going to change. Verse 31 uh, you can almost hear like the the frustration in his voice. Oh, these people have committed a great sin. <laughs> it's just uh, so Moses. What's interesting about this, though, Moses could very easily have said, "Okay, I'm down for that plan, Lord." No, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I mean, absolutely. you know, you know, really, I will make of you great. And the thing about that is. Moses appeals to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but at the same time, if 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 God makes a great nation out of him, that still fulfills the prophecy. It does. That still fulfills everything. That, yes. I mean, the, the, you know, and that's the amazing thing about the way the Lord works. He can take he can take like everything from the start and and start over again, and uh, there there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can get so wrong that messes up his plan. No, absolutely. And there, I've heard people say that God didn't really intend to kill the nation, that God was never really going to do that. He was just testing Moses. I don't buy that. I don't buy that yeah. at all. Yeah, he it sounds like, I mean, he, he sound, exactly. I think that he absolutely could have. He said, I could, I could nuke it all and start all over and it don't make no difference to me. Uh, and it still would have fulfilled his plan. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's playing around. I think that Israel is in every bit of the danger that God says they are. Well, verse mm-hmm. 14 says the Lord relented. And what does that word relent mean? You know, it's you were going to do something, but you relent. You you pull back from that. You decide to do something else. So, yeah, the, new, the new American puts a real fine point on it. He's changed his mind. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't. I don't know another way to interpret any of these verses other than God was going to absolutely start all over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, that may really magnifies that really magnifies Moses's appeal, you know, cause God in verse 10 says, let me alone, you know, like, let me do this, <laughs> you know, and then Moses, way, kid. <laughs> yeah. And then Moses, I think the things that Moses appeals to God about are amazing. You know, when he, Oh yeah. Like verse oh, yeah. 12, he's concerned about the Egyptians having a misunderstanding. He's worried about 
he, it's it's like it shows that Moses understands that there's lessons of God's faithfulness that are important to be displayed, not just within Israel, but he understands the point of all of this goes back to the promises to Abraham that the the glory of God is to spread everywhere, not just within one specific isolated group. Uh, so with the the second thing, it seems like as he's concerned about the the faithfulness of God having no deterrence in how it's displayed you know so it seems like in verse 13 his appeal is this don't let this be something that you know is going to be reset or you know done over again you know the the magnificence of god's promises it shows that he's capable of doing it once you know um and i just think it's amazing how tender-hearted moses is and it shows it shows how much moses deeply understood the point of everything that god was really doing here and this isn't the last time you see that because he does this again in Numbers. Right. When the people right. go up into Canaan, he makes a lot of the same appeals. That is, yeah. the guy doesn't change. He even mm. will quote the stuff that we're going to look at in, in Exodus 34 when he when God talks mm. about his faithfulness and his loyalty. So mm-hmm. this appeal to God... Now, he's not just trying to guilt God into doing the right thing because of his right. reputation. Yeah. Although he leverages his reputation. I mean, it's it is absolutely a part of that. He's not trying to bully God, but he certainly does care enough about God's name and glory that he will make his appeal using mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the interesting things before we go in, into too much into the themes, one of the things that just kind of cracks me up is God specifically says that they're an obstinate people. Aaron uh, says that the people are prone to evil. Everyone yeah, Aaron, around Aaron says, you know, the people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every, right. Everyone around Moses says these people, they're worthless. Mm. It's Moses who stands up for them. Yeah. Not because they're inherently good, but because God is inherently good. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like verse 25, Moses saw the people were unrestrained. It, it's almost like Moses saying, this is embarrassing. It's, you know, just like, if anybody comes across us, I mean, they're, they're going to be, like, <laughs> uh, these people are, are insane. It's <laughs> uh, amazing in that context. We say it in verse uh, 26. I think it's interesting that the sons of Levi choose to gather to Moses. So I imagine like they were disturbed by this and ready to act, you know, and, and it's just amazing how they respond. They, they actually go through the camp killing all of their friends indiscriminately because Moses tells them you need to go everywhere you can and you just don't even worry about who you're killing. Just start striking people down. And it says mm. they, they went and they started doing that. So in verse 28, you know, 3,000 men died from the Levites indiscriminately going throughout the camp. I, I don't know that it is indiscriminate because one of the things, okay, I'm not quite sure about this. And I'm, I'm with you that they killed the people and they did so. But it seems that the people who are the ones reveling, and I don't know what this looks like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it sounds from some of the language, like they may have been engaged in a full on like frat party orgy. 
And those are the people that the Levites come through and mow down, right. pulling yeah. Jason Voorhees. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like that's planting some seeds for the the group that he calls into the priesthood. You know, eventually that would be the Levites. Absolutely. One of the interesting things that, that sits in this is Moses' response is recorded in a hymn slash song uh, format. It's in a poetic format. And so I find it interesting, mm-hmm. that is that, interesting. that this is something that you could remember and, and it would sound as a way that you could sing. It is not the sound of triumph, nor is the sound of uh, nor is the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And mm. I, I just find that interesting. Who's going to sing this? Mm. Who later on is going to memorialize the failure of Israel with this short little song? I just it's mm. it's it just cracks me up. Uh, some of those things. Uh, it is funny though how how often Israelites' failures are poetically remembered. Yes. We were talking about Psalm 106 earlier before we started the recording. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm 106 is an entire psalm dedicated to how, how mm-hmm. much they get screwed up. And it's beautiful. And and, and one, of the neat, one of the neat things about that is the places it shows up. Uh, Paul quotes it extensively or alludes to it mm-hmm. extensively in Romans chapter 1. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. One last thing I did want to uh, notice. Um, Moses' dedication to the people is so strong yeah. that he even puts himself in the place. He says, if you don't forgive them, blot me out of your book that you've written. Now, yeah, incredible. this this book that you have written, now this is a theme that goes throughout the entirety of scripture. Oh, it's the idea that yeah. God has a book of the people who he considers to be the right people. I, I don't even know where it starts, but, right. uh, but it, this is a theme that continues. But Moses putting himself in a place to where he's begging God to forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, then, then just, just don't forgive me either. Just cut mm. me out. Mm-mm-mm. And I'm reminded of Paul's dedication to his people that we read about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Mm. He says, I, if I could be separated from Christ so that they could be saved, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more I read Paul, the more I think that he seemed to have an affinity for Moses. Mm-hmm. There may, I, I think that Paul looked at Moses quite a bit and, and felt a kinship there because that statement, if you're not going to forgive them, just, just cut me out. I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take the hit along with him. That's an amazing statement. Yeah. It's an amazing connection.
I think one of the things that makes me the, the very saddest about this is the fact that they know exactly who let them out of Egypt. Yeah. They were able to witness every bit of the things uh, that God did. This is not the next generation. This is the first generation. Right. They have just come through this. And here they hold up this thing that they made with their own hands. And they say, this is your God. And it, it, who brought you up out of Egypt? I mean, that's, that's not, they know that's not true. Mm, and so mm-hmm. watching people say things they know that aren't true because it fits the narrative of being mm. able to not be commanded and, and further, they get to be in control because they're the ones who made the thing. They get to decide how to worship it. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Mm. And, and, but they, but they know it's not true. It's mm-hmm. intellectual mm-hmm. dishonesty. I mean, I don't know. That's well, idolatry is kind of intellectual dishonesty. Right. Right. But here yeah. in this case, you can really see that that develop right here. And secondarily to that, it's not like they have not heard already specifically. He says, you know, you didn't see a thing. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no form going on here. Right. So don't make a thing. Now he's going to reiterate that more strongly in Deuteronomy. But they do the exact thing that he told them not to do. Right. Yeah, and then the command to not uh, make an image was not unreasonable. You know, if like you said, everything everything that they had seen earlier in, in the experience of the Exodus, you know, is uh, just yesterday, you know, reading through Exodus and at the point of the Passover, you know, and it just really struck me how much God was working to cause the point of everything to sink very deeply into the hearts of the people. Um, Right. All the work he did. That's right. Right. Exactly. And even with the Passover, when he gave them the opportunity to participate in his judgments, um, how they had to themselves to take a lamb, you know, because before that God was just of himself separating the Egyptians from the Israelites and they were just safe inherently because they were Israelites but at the Passover, they had to participate. So they had to think about what had happened and they had to make a, a decision that required effort and time based in making a conclusion about what was going on. And it seems like that was meant to seal in their minds that they were being saved by the invisible God on the basis of his grace uh, and that there was seriousness to everything. So, you know, getting here and then they're just building a gold calf just all of a sudden you know it, it, they're they're throwing away just so many things that god has has deeply implanted already you know not even to mention you know the traveling in the wilderness the parting of the red sea you know their experience on sinai you know and and so you know god has not been unreasonable you know and if anything his mercy here is really actually the unreasonable thing you know uh, maybe this is a stretch but uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, I mean, it it, it kind of makes me think about that because, you know, verse eight, they have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. Mm. Um, Jesus tells his disciples to, you know, wait here and watch, you know, watch and pray. Um, but like almost immediately they, essentially disobey that. You know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, necessarily label, 
what they're doing the same thing as idolatry at all. But I don't know. I would, maybe, maybe that's I, I wouldn't much. say it's tantamount to idolatry, but I think the same core issues are at work in that he tells them specifically what he desires and quickly they turn away from that. So I, again, not idolatry, but a lot of the same problems because it's out of sight, out of mind. Mm, right. 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 And, and it's like you, you tell a child, okay, don't do that thing. And you leave the room. And that's the only thing they do. You know, that's the only thing they can think about. Um, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I think really ultimately this is something where, and, and I'll, I'll have more to say about this in application, but I mean, I think it's very common actually for people to be able to embrace a lie yeah even though they know it's false mm-hmm. they know that it's that because it's it because real. it helps them it gives them something they're desiring right 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 well that, that gets back to what we read about in second thessalonians when mm. he talks about that strong delusion because they didn't yes. know the truth that's right yeah and it's not because god takes away that love of the truth it's not no. that he tricks them into doing something he he reasonably gives them the way to go. Um, yeah. But it's, it's you know, sin is deceitful. Yeah. Um, and, and something that seems good to us is actually going to be bad for us. Yeah, that's what the Hebrew writer says. Hearts right. hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think, like, this was something that um, really sets a theme of God's character, you know, throughout Scripture you know, like in Jeremiah, uh, you know, when Jerusalem was on the brink of being destroyed later, you know, God tells them in Jeremiah chapter three, verse 22, you know, return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Uh, simple, but they don't, they don't return. They don't turn to him. you know, so God is willing to show mercy. And in Jeremiah, there's a lot of uh, warnings of his wrath, but you know, why does God, why does God warn of his wrath? Why doesn't he just silently act and not give anybody any opportunity to hear what he's about to do? Because you know, he's not looking to nuke them all. He's right. looking for them exactly. to turn. Exactly. Amen. Right. Well, it, it reminds me of the same thing we read about in Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel too has this, like in the middle of his announcing what that wrath is going to be figured as like the descending locusts, like an right. army. Right. He says, but even now, you don't know if he'll turn away from it. So mm. be humble, Mm-mm-mm. fast, appeal to his mercy. He might leave a blessing instead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, one other point later on that you can think of is Eli with the sons. Absolutely. I mean, his, sons mm. his sons are wicked. His sons are doing the wrong thing. The The fault that is laid at his feet, though, is that's laid on him is he did not restrain his sons. That's right, and and so there is a willfulness even in that. I think. That, oh yeah, that I know it's difficult. I, I recognize that you know we can talk and, and and understand that. Hey, raising kids is difficult. Raising children is difficult. You're yeah, okay, but Eli was but, getting something out of it too. Mm, he, well, he, sure, he, Eli is complicit in the fact that they made themselves fat with God's sacrifices because they were taking portions that were not theirs. Uh, uh, yes, there's the normal parenting problems with Eli, but beyond the normal parenting problems with Eli, he was complicit yes. in what they were doing. 
Yes. Because he was benefiting. It's like, um, that's true. He was getting a kickback, wasn't he? He sure was. It's like a, it's like a, um, I, I hate to be, you know, crass about this. It's like a single mom who, who kind of knows her oldest son is a drug dealer and a thief. She just kind of doesn't really say anything because he helps out with the bills. Right. And they've always got a new TV. <laughs> no, no, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm trying no, to, absolutely. It's, right. it's, yeah, yeah, I could really ball him out for this, but, um, but he makes rent, you know, and this yeah. new, this new TV is nice. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I'm really glad that we've got, we've got the new dinner table. Maybe it's got a gunshot hole in it, but whatever, we're going to be fine. Uh, you know, you, people will overlook the things. Yeah, yeah. That benefit them. Right. If it is convenient to ignore them. Yeah, and I, I think that there's an important thematic contrast between Exodus 32 and First Samuel uh, chapter oh, yeah. 2 and 3. You know, oh, yeah. God God was able to renew the circumstances in Exodus 32 because Moses's anger was tempered with an understanding of mercy. But he, when he got down to the congregation, you know, people died, and yep. Eli with his sons, you know, the they were priests who deserved to die for what they were doing. At the very least, be just discharged from the priesthood. But yep. he didn't do anything like that. And further than that, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when Samuel, as a boy, uh, told Eli what God's judgments were after <laughs> Eli already knew, he says something that sounds good on the surface. In 1 Samuel 3, 18, he says, you know, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Can you imagine if Moses, God threatened to destroy the nation, and Moses <laughs> heard it, and he said, yeah, you're the Lord. Do what seems good to you. I mean, we'd have a totally different narrative if that were the case. Well, and, Moses is a fundamentally different person. Exactly. And, that, and that's the thing. Yeah, you is, take, that's very right. interesting. You take Eli's words and you transfix them into this. They become so callous and indifferent. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, he is, he is not saying anything noble in 1 Samuel chapter 3 when he says, you know, let the Lord do his good. <laughs> you know, if, no. if God threatened to kill my wife for her sin, I'm not going to say, well, let me step aside because God's just going to do what he's going to do, isn't he? Like, no, get on your knees and beg for mercy. At the same time, after God uh, takes care of business with uh, the sons of Aaron, not Abinabihu. You have this warning from Moses that does sound callous, but I think the circumstances are somewhat different. Right. Because he tells Aaron, he says, okay, now, God did tell you. I knew what this is. Totally. That's right. You, you knew, knew what, what this about. was about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think in that, you know, it's so important, you know, God exhibits wrath you know the israelites had seen his wrath the the mountain on sinai right above them was still you know covered in in smoke and fire i mean that was right there but even with god's nature there is such a degree of of mercy that because of god's faithfulness no matter how god chooses to reveal himself because he's always true to himself there will always be mercy to, to to cause him to be overlooked and taken for granted you know, and, and why is the Bible as large a volume of writing as it is? It's because we need to know God by faith in a manner where we're not taking him for granted because of the lengths of mercy he shows us inherently because of who he is. Amen. I want, you're talking about different personalities. And one of the things that kind of strikes me um, is 
we know Joshua from his work in bringing the people into the land. And Joshua, uh, being the warrior that he is, is is kind of focused on some things. Now, he doesn't hesitate to kill Aachen when he absolutely has to. He doesn't hesitate to destroy cities when he has to. But he certainly does not think the worst of the people. Because his thought is there's a battle. I don't know if it's because he's a warrior or he just thinks well of the people. Joshua hears the people and he says, there's sound of war in the camp. And then you got Moses' response to him when he he says, no, that's a party. I know a house party when I hear one. And so he kind of strikes me as, as funny to, that, that this is Joshua. This is the Joshua. And his first thought was, oh, there's a fight. Mm-hmm. It, uh, again, uh, it's an what it's a, a what a pure motivation in he like is. he's he's assuming that it's 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 uh you know really comparable to you know the the apostles when they see Judas leave they're like yeah, oh well sure. he must be going to help someone yeah mm-hmm. exactly right 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 what you do to do quickly yeah uh, I guess he's got to go do something with the Lomax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well in in you know. <laughs> Uh, I kind of had in my mind them thinking like he's really he's messing with that money box a lot. Uh, really <laughs> generous guy. I guess he's going to help with somebody. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I also think too in terms of what Moses is saying in verse, you know, uh, verse twelve. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them to kill right. them in the mountains? Right, makes me think about you know, uh, Satan as being listed or, or brought up as the accuser. Right. Uh, Revelation twelve ten. Uh, now salvation and strengthening the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God night, day and night has been cast down. So you get the sense there that beforehand, and this is just the way I, I, I view this. I think Revelation 12 was pretty easy to understand. I may be wrong, but, um, Really, uh, it seems to me a situation where Satan, from the time of Adam's sin to the time of the cross, uh, Satan had a reason to accuse, uh, you know, accuse the people of God. They say, hey, you're not right. You don't have forgiveness. The, this has not been paid. And And so there's a sense here there's a similarity here because Satan, right. uh, excuse me, Moses is, is basically saying, why should you open up this window for others to talk, talk about you mm. to, to basically blaspheme about you. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing about that is like, like I'm not sure Moses even really knows the depth of that because mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. long from, from Adam's sin until now, I, again, the Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't tell us, but what has Satan been saying? It seems like he's been accusing uh, our brethren uh, before God day and night. Well, that's that's, that's literally what he does in every circumstance. If you think about what he does with Job, Mm -hmm. all he does with Job is he accuses Job before the father. If you look at his appearance before the high priest Joshua, he does the exact same thing. All he does is he makes accusation. Mm -hmm. He's literally the, the lawyer for the prosecution. Mm-hmm. that is his the whole function that is yep. the entirety of what he does 
he tempts us and then accuses us. So he kind of plays both sides of his chessboard, but that's, that's, that's his job. That is what he does. And so in this particular case, I think you're right in saying that Moses brings up the idea that God is jealous of his name and accusers are going to use this as slander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says, we can't, we can't act that way because there's slander out there and he cares about slander. You know, it is amazing how much slander is spoken of evilly in the Bible, as in mm-hmm. not just slander against God, but slander against other people, mm-hmm. uh, getting mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. in being, you know, baseless slander against other uh, against others. Elders' wives are not supposed to be involved in slander. Um, and yet, as a society, now this is a more application than his theme, we are some of the most slanderous people. Mm. Mm-hmm. We will talk bad about anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's really true or not. I mean, you look at the way the meme culture goes, how it sort of like undercuts. I don't care who they are. I mean, whether they be famous or, or kind of a nobody. Uh, we are a, we are a slanderous society. And I just kind of find that to be very interesting, given how much of the Bible is dedicated to saying that that's a bad thing. Yeah. It's yep. sort of an overlooked sin, kind of like violence. You know, Big violence time, is something definitely. that is all throughout scripture. But, and obviously we know, you know, you shouldn't beat people up, but like, <laughs> you know, but it's like, like at the same I time. Like, I would like to go on record for, for Stephen making sure that we know that we shouldn't beat people up. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> That's why I tune into the show right here. Yes, <laughs> we're answering the big questions. <laughs> also, I would like to go on record to make sure that the, that everyone heard that Stephen just said that Revelation is easy. Just making sure that no, 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 no. I said Revelation twelve, my friend. I think that one passage in Revelation twelve is pretty easy to figure out. I may be wrong. I probably am wrong, but yeah. No, actually, I I agree with your I agree with your your assessment of that of that passage. I just thought it was funny of of all the things I expected to hear this uh, to hear today on the show that Revelation was easy was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in in another thing too, verse thirteen, sort of the the, I mean, again, I, I love this this speech by Moses toward God. That's awesome because verse thirteen, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Um, I think it's fascinating. I think we mentioned on this program before, Bryant, that it's interesting that he says Israel here <laughs> instead of Jacob. And, mm-hmm. and again, that, that formal name. I mean, I think of that as a formal name for Jacob that, um, you know, your servants and you also, or by your own self. Go ahead. Also remember what Israel means. Mm-hmm. Wrestles with God. Yep. The entirety of the nation is called wrestles with God. Mm. <laughs> but but I, I I look at that, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think of that as is in a positive way, not necessarily in a hostile way, but I I don't know. Uh, no, I think there's a there, it's I think it's a bit of an, an intentional sort of like a I think there's an amusing double entendre there. One, the people are named after the man to whom God made the promise in the covenant. Mm-hmm. Therefore, God has a responsibility toward the nation. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, you did name the nation 
after a guy you named wrestles with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, I think- and, and go ahead, go ahead, Brent. I was thinking about how, like, you know, Moses is appealing to God to protect his reputation, but, you know, God does not do that pridefully. You know, like God is, he's protecting his promises. And the appeal is that God's reputation is based in his promises and the people that he's dedicated himself to based in promise. And really with God doing what Moses says, he's actually further laying down his reputation. Um, You know, again, you think about the story of the Old Testament, you know, is God's reputation really throughout the Old Testament, uh, you know, protected by his association with the nation of Israel of the flesh? I mean, we we looked at like Jeremiah just a minute ago, you know, in the prophets, you know, it's, it's a story of God's name being blasphemed, you know, just years and generations. And I think about like verse uh, 33 and 32, where God even tells Moses, like, look, this, this mercy that I'm going to show only really goes so far, you know, like people are not automatically righteous just because he's not going to punish them right now. Right. Yeah. No, and, that's part. It's part of it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's the thing is, like, God is willing to delay His wrath to people who are still unrighteous simply because of promises He had made in the past, which I think like gets to the importance of understanding associating with God's name, like the psalmist would say it, like David when he says, "You lead me in the paths of righteousness for Your name's sake." Well, secondarily, in 34, he's going to clarify his name, and part of his name is the fact that he forgives. Right. Yes, exactly. And so, is he defending his name, or is he defining it? And the answer is, it's kind of both. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because the forgiveness is an inherent part of his name slash character. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Now, that's not a human understanding of his name. We don't have a very good understanding of God's name, I don't think. Uh, I mean, modern culture. Uh, you were talking about whether or not God was considered to be, um, or what God, or what God was considered to be by people who thought about what His "quote unquote" name meant. But I think that a lot of modern people totally misunderstand what yeah. God's name is. Right? They don't understand that the, that the forgiveness is a, is a good quality. They, I don't think they yeah. respect the fact that His forgiveness is a, an inherent part of His character. Mm-hmm. When we talk mm-hmm. about God's name, or we talk about the God, the God of the Old Testament, people that phrase "the God of the Old Testament" only kind of means one thing. Um, but I think we forget that He specifically has said that my name includes forgiveness and long suffering. Absolutely. Also, justice, though. That's and that's the thing is I, I think with Exodus, you know, with God in the Exodus defining Himself in a a uh, variety of ways to say the least. You know, if God is faithful, then I think one of the cases to be made for the inspiration of the Bible, I think in easy cases, how God sets a precedent for who he is in extraordinary ways that are very hard to define. You know, so God here is being extraordinarily merciful, but he's also not forsaking his wrath and justice. And what he's doing is he's then setting a precedent now where God has to remain true to this standard of expectation for the rest of time that he reveals himself through history. That means Mm -hmm. in the period of the kingdom, 
God needs to be true to the nature that we see here. During the prophets, he needs to be true to his nature that we see here. In Jesus's ministry, he has to be true to his nature that we see here. In the writing of the apostles and prophets, they need to be true to the nature that we see here. And we see a holy and distinct, unbroken consistency in God's nature okay. being unfathomably merciful beyond what we understand, while at the same time never compromising his wrath and justice. And I think that, to me, that's incredible and very amazing. Psalm Psalm 79, in verse 9, he's talking about, uh, help us for the glory of your name, deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. So it's, it's not for our sake, you know, and, and, and Moses is going to bear that out in Deuteronomy. He's going to say, you know, you're not, it's not because you're a wonderful people that God chose you. You're not like more important than anybody else right. uh, in that, yeah. in that sense. But God has made a priority for you. He has chosen you because for his own sake, yeah. that's, that's what he's done. Yeah, I think about it like, what if Bill Gates, for instance, you know, somebody famous literally sold all their assets and everything that made them famous in the first place. And then they took this unknown, poor individual who had nothing and was nothing. And they found him without anybody realizing it. And this person, let's again say Bill Gates, for instance, and they say, I'm going to invest all of my assets and I'm going to invest my reputation. I'm going to risk my reputation on you. And you imagine then the risk that that person is taking for one, but then for two, how desperate they're going to be for that person to succeed. You know, and when and when they're having trouble or when, you know, it seems like the investment's being put at risk you know, the person who's made that investment is going to quickly step in and they're going to be very concerned about making sure that everything is going, everything is going well and that they're being equipped to succeed. You know, so at first, you know, I I think for, for me, this was the case, the less I understand God, the more it's not very interesting when it says that everything he's doing is for his own name. It's like, well, well, what about my name? You know, isn't it better for God to do it for my sake? And the answer is no, it's not better for God to do it for my sake because I'm nobody and I'm nothing. And if it was for me, God would be just to throw me away quickly. But if it's based in his name, then God is going to do everything that's possible and invest everything possible so that I can be exalted in the way that he uh, has determined and promised, just like the nation of Israel as well. Yeah, there's there's something to be said there um, and, and really I've actually used this example that you've used before uh, that I've heard. I've basically got from you. I've used in a couple of lessons. Uh, You know, what if we, what if we get a judgment day and God just decides, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you anyway. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is, this is too much trouble uh, after all of it, you know, what would our reaction be? Mm. And I, and I, and I balance that with the knowledge that we know that's not what's going to happen because, you know, God says otherwise, but, uh, if that was the case, we would have to have a graceful attitude toward that and recognize, you know what, I'm not worth that really Mm. when, when Mm -hmm. all is said and done, you know, this is all grace. This is all, you know, and I think that's a good, you know, and I, I appreciate you, you know, sharing sharing that in the, in, in previous times, I think we've even talked about that on this program before, but, um, you know, that sense of, 
you know, th- this is all because he has decided to make it. So mm. this is not, this is not me earning anything. And, and, and I think people, I think that kind of challenges people at the same time to recognize that, you know, this is not, this is not a rewards based situation. Mm. One of the things that I guess would have better fit in the um, things you notice uh, section but it struck me that these tablets were referred to as being written by the finger of God. Mm, yeah. Those tablets are broken. The replacement ta- uh, tablets are written by Moses. Right. Yeah. And so the, the whatever would have been visible, present, noticeable, obvious about God writing those tablets himself was gone because Moses lost his temper. Hmm. Again, I understand that Moses is justifiably angry, but what an interesting thing that we never have after this event, anything that was written directly by God again. Hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah. Aaron decides tomorrow is a feast day that is completely outside of Aaron's authority. Hmm. The feast days were already given to the people, right? Or at least Moses was given the feast days, whether he communicated that to people yet or not. So feast days, Aaron is not in a position to be able to say this is a feast right. day. Yeah. Uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat decided that he was going to make feast days too. Yeah, and he was condemned well. by God for it. So mm-hmm. just, that's one thing I think is interesting. Secondarily, the uh, ze- the zeal the zeal the zealousness of the Levites for being right and doing right and slaughtering their countrymen who were engaged in whatever practices they were engaging in uh, is, I think, mirrored uh, by Phineas, the son of Aaron, uh, when you have the people who are engaged in idolatry in Moab. Mm. And so uh, he um, goes Jason Voorhees on a couple who is uh, engaged in, well, idolatry, but also uh, intercourse, and he skewers them both. Right, yeah. And I think it's interesting that that, faithfulness and tradition of faithfulness continues on even past Moses, uh, no, uh, Aaron's son. Yeah. Right. That means that you have this, these other people say that I will stand up and I will stop the tide of this. I will right. absolutely uh, end this right now. And well, so what are the, what do the Levites uh, do in the time of Jeroboam? Jeroboam sets up these calves and Dan and Bethel, and the Levites are like, ah, peace out. We're done. Yeah, we're going back. Yeah, that's right. We're on it. We're right. Yeah. That's right. We're out of here. Yep. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean no, to get you're, No, I'm with there. you. I'm with you. That's a, that's an excellent – because the Levites – now, I'm not saying the Levites are perpetually perfect because there's some times where they really get involved in some nonsense. Sure. Um, uh, Malachi is specifically tough on the Levites. Yeah. Really, really <laughs> hard on Levites. And so there are places where they need to get called out too. But generally, yeah, Levi was a tribe that was kind of known for sticking with right. the right when everybody else went wrong. Oh.
so with what you were saying, Jeremy, um, you know, something that I've, I've thought a lot about, um, if somebody has been with congregations that are really striving to be, you know, sound and, and, you know, really stay within the realm of God's authority, um, something that I think is inevitable to run into is either thinking this or hearing people say this where they will admire or even, you know, I can again, have the same attitude of admiring people who are zealous for compromised devotion to God and say, well, why can't we be more like them? Or you see how excited they are, how passionate you are and say, man, I need to take a page out of their playbook. And I think there is inherently a big problem with that. That seems subtle, but is really important to note. It is always easier to be very passionate for a compromised view of God. Because that compromised view of God gives license for selfishness and self-indulgence. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Learning, learning to be passionately devoted for who God is as he is, the reality is, is it is a very difficult, very rare thing. Um, and like you were saying with, with Malachi, uh, what you were saying with the Levites and, and how the Levites, and sometimes they compromise, sometimes they don't. And, you know, you see in, in the Gospels, you have, you know, the, the leadership making compromises there. And it doesn't seem like anybody's, you know, quite aware enough or passionate enough for the Lord like Jesus was to put a stop to it. You know, so it, it's just it's very common for who God is to the reality is as we learn about God, as we learn specifically about we do need to take his authority seriously. We do need to take his judgment seriously. We do need to be careful about what we're practicing and the reality is learning those things and believing those things while maintaining passion for him and maintaining a complete view. It, it's just, it's very rare. And it's, 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 I think, a, a, a thing that needs to be cautioned when you see people in denominations or in mega churches having what seems to be a great deal of passion. I, I'd be interested in what you guys think about this, but I think it's important to recognize that that zeal is based in a very compromised view of God that makes it much easier to be very passionate like the people here in, in Exodus who are passionate about this idol that they were claiming was God. I was going to well, say, I, if you want to yeah. talk about passion, uh, they were passionate. Yeah. And they were, they, were, they were all over that thing. They were, look how passionate they are for that. That's right. Well, uh, this, is, this may not be like a big, like earth-shattering comment for us because I, I think... I think we've seen okay so so I've I've been able to observe situations where people fall away, you know, and embrace denominationalism, you know, other other such things. And and one common thread that I typically see is they'll say something to the effect of, well, I I I'm just I feel like I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life. Like this <laughs> right, is, right, right, you right. Know, I, exactly. I had a discussion yeah. with somebody like uh, a couple of months ago who uh who fell away and is now uh I think he's an elder at at the at the church that he that he goes to and uh I don't you know it, it, it's one of the more more uh innovative churches in town I wouldn't call it a mega church but uh they definitely don't have a whole lot of standards as far as what they're going to do and uh he he you know we were kind of talking about the situation of him falling, you know, how, how, how all that came to be necessarily, he doesn't view it 
you know, obviously we don't view it in the same way, but, uh, he basically said to me, you know what, my, my heart may have been, you know, revealed and all that, but, uh, you know what, I know what grace is now. And I, I just, I'm closer to God, you know, right. and I, you yeah, know, all exactly. these things. And it's just That's like, right. well, you're just burying yourself in these levels of emotionalism and which by the way, in his say in his case he's playing the victim he you know all he talked about was how those people wronged me and things like that right that's um, really common yeah and, and so uh, this doesn't really count this is a little bit different the, what we're reading about because i don't think it's couched necessarily in bitterness it's it's more of a disregard it's a callous mm. disregard well hey we don't know what happened to moses so what are we going to do here what's going on aaron and Aaron's like, mm, uh, it, it, give me your gold. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that that's kind of. Well, oh, you know, oh, but at the same time, when he talks about it, he he sort of says it's the people, it's the it's the people's fault. Oh, yeah. No, so yeah. Aaron he has a, little bit of, has a little bit of that. Yeah. You want to talk about a little bit of a. A, a victim mentality. He kind of well, Aaron has a bit of that. He's like, well, "It's not my fault. It's the people." I mean, yeah, sounds like Han, Han Solo. It's not my fault. Bit, yeah, and and in yeah. Hebrews twelve, when it talks about no root of bitterness springing up, you know, I think ultimately, no matter the bitterness we may have toward people, you know, sin, sin so often is bitterness against God and resentment toward God, mm-hmm. hidden under the under the cloth, the veil of self justification and language that justifies self. Because you know, the idea, I think, is no root of bitterness is thinking like God's not giving me what I want. God's not allowing me to do what I want. God's God's not letting me fulfill my passions. God's just holding me down. His 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 word is holding me down, and so you just have this yearning to break free from the the restrictiveness or the boundaries, you know. And 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 I think that's what the people are thinking here is God's He's not providing us with we want with what we want. You know, we're we're just sitting here, we're waiting around, we don't know what's going on. You know, we need an answer now. So Aaron, make us a gold calf. And, and I think, you know, sin and apostasy really takes that that root where whatever whatever the, the, the circumstance may be that pushes someone there, ultimately, it's just not being satisfied with who God is. It's not being satisfied with the nature of his word. And so you just, you end up looking for something else and you end up wanting a compromise. Again, that gives more liberty for selfishness and self-indulgence. I think that the people in this particular case would probably say that they're closer to God than they've ever been. Yeah, Look, absolutely. They can, they can yeah. see him. Yeah. I mean, they, they, right. he's right there. They can touch yep. that thing. Yep. They're yep. closer yep. to God than they've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. The, it goes back to the serpent's lie in the garden, right? Mm, um, yes. Right. You know, right. I, this is the real narrative, Eve. Okay. He's, he's imprisoned you in this place. He's keeping, and, you, he's keeping uh, you down, man. He's keeping yeah. you away from what you ought to ought to be. You know, you ought to be the one that that knows good and evil. You ought to be the one that has, and and so that's what he's going to do. He's going to control the narrative, and so we're back to the accuser of the saints now, right? Where right. it's like, okay, he 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 tries to again. I think I think the thought is he's going to try to control the narrative. Um, whatever political, you know, thoughts you want to have there. Okay. Whatever. But, but in the, in, in scripture, what we need to understand is, and of course, I think this relates to life that, that someone who is, who is trying to control the narrative, they're not your buddy. Someone who tries to spin something that you did into something. Well, that's okay. You know, you're not that bad. 
You're not, you're not killing people. You're not stealing from people. Um, you know, you're trying to reason away your sin. Um, you know, Hey, uh, these people, they're, they're just having a fun time. God. I mean, just, just chill out, man. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that. But anyway, <laughs> no, I, sounded right. like the, I sounded like the skateboarding senator who's coming in and say, hello, kids, vote for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, fellow children. <laughs> I too. This election is looking pretty rad. <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it straight. But so Colossians with, with, with applications related to that though, you know, Colossians one verse 11, I think really says something that is worth noting on this, that that has really stuck out to me in the past. You know, he's Paul's praying for the Colossians that, you know, they would, grow in wisdom and knowledge, spiritual wisdom and knowledge, walk in a way pleasing to the Lord, you know, growing in everything and increasing the knowledge of God. But in verse 11, he says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for, so you have to think, okay, whatever he says next must be pretty spectacular. I mean, he's, he's saying he's praying that God use all of his power to do whatever it is he's about to be praying for. He says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy. You know, and, and it's almost like, I feel like it's like deflating a balloon. You're like, what? No, that's, that's huge, though. Exactly. That's right. Because to grow in, in, in true knowledge of God, in spiritual wisdom, to bear fruit in good works, to put on the new man with patience, to grow in love and cultivate unity among brethren, not growing embittered against the saints when they resist your love, when people let you down, when, when doctrine that is sound isn't as visibly exciting or emotionally exhilarating as compromises, to still grow in patience according to the power of God, that there, that is the power and the glory of God. I would also, I would also hasten to say that sin is only more exciting and attractive when we are excited and attracted to sin. Mm, amen. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I think one thing too to note in terms of the solution here. I think I think when we talk about application, we want to make sure that we're not just saying stay away from this. This is wrong. This is bad. But also, let's offer the solution. The solution that seems to me, you know, that we can pull from from Moses's behavior, from Joshua's behavior, uh is uh humility and genuineness and and just pure honest you know, just reality, just be real. Those are the, those are some of the greatest tools that God gives us to fight against sin and against corruption. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's just important, uh, for us to consider, uh, that, that, you know what I need to have, you know, the, 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 the struggles we're going to have with each other, right. Um, you know, congregations, uh, churches are going to have fights. We're going to have struggles that we go through. Um, it's important that we deal with those as quickly as, as we can in, in good ways. I'm not saying we have to hash everything out in one session, but I am saying work, do the heavy lifting at first. Don't kick the can down the road and expect things to get better because the reality is they're probably going to get worse. Um, and, and so deal with sin and also deal with sin harshly and strictly as God is, has prescribed and, and get it out, you know, solve the problem. Mm. Um, I, I think, I think there's just some positive, you know, things that we can see in this chapter too, about, well, what do I do when, when I find myself, you know, wrapped up in a horrible 
situation, you mm-hmm. know, whatever it is, uh, you know, well, deal with it, do what God says and, uh, and be real as well about it, you know, be genuine about it. Don't try to, don't try to paint it or, you know, make it up into something that's, you know, different than it is. I think about the brethren in Corinth in first Corinthians five, right. Rather than being, you know, humble about it, they were actually being puffed up about it. They're just, no, yeah, we, he's got his father's wife. Um, you know, we love him anyway. And, uh, we're, we're, you know, he, he, he's special to us. He's a brother in Christ. Um, anyway, I, I'm putting that that those words in the Corinthian brethren's mouth. I don't know if they ever said that, but well, no, I do know that Paul a, says they're puffed up. Right? They were proud instead of the, instead of being instead of being sad about the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right that their attitude was, "Look how tolerant we are. Yeah, look mm-hmm. how much grace we're exhibiting." Yeah. I know what grace really means now. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> that was for you, Steve. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think with that, too, you know, like God has given us an image to cling to, you know, Colossians one again, verse 15, you know, he is the image of the invisible God. You know, that that is Christ. And we have to recognize that, you know, Jesus also made peace through the blood of the cross and reconciled all things through his suffering. You know, so struggling with brethren and struggling to maintain Firm convictions rooted in God's word in view of who God is, in view of his love, in view of his patience. To love with resistance is a part of that image. It draws us nearer to Jesus. To be among people who are weak, to be among people who are not maybe very exciting to be around, is it's a part of the image. You know, Jesus with his disciples, you know, struggling with the brethren, struggling with their own weaknesses should bring us back into the gospel. It should bring us back into the living reality of the gospel and how relevant the gospel is, how relevant Jesus's ministry was. You know, the, the answer isn't to withdraw ourselves and to compromise, but to draw nearer to the image that has been revealed. And I think that could have been a solution for the people. You know, they could have had the struggle of impatience, but they could have chosen to handle the conversation differently. There were more options than just compromising. They could have experienced the same struggle, but pursued a different solution. I don't know, man. Dealing with the, the brethren is pretty exciting sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Mo- Moses it, it, doesn't sound bored here. He sounds like he's pretty excited, right. too. Yes, yes. <laughs> a, different, a different kind of exciting. <laughs> Not an easy exciting. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, this will be on. The, I know I mentioned this kind of briefly, and I want to talk about it again. the The kind of character that is demonstrated by Moses, he says, "If you're not going to forgive them, then just blot me out of the book." Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. If you're not going to forgive them, don't forgive me either. And we see how much of that is in Paul. Ah, uh, yeah. But why don't we have that kind of character? Man. Yeah, Amen. Why don't? Mm-mm-mm. Why are we ready to jump up, throw deuces, yeah, and do the stepping right because right. people aren't doing right? Why don't we have the same kind of character that we read about here? Mm. This character exhibited by Moses and exhibited by Paul is not one one that says, "Well, you know, you guys, you guys stink. I'm leaving. I'm out. You can't do right. I'm gonna go find some people who could do right." And and God offers him. He says, "Well, hey, well, you know what? You have some people who are right. Come out of you. You could fix. You could fix this. You could be. It, it could be from you. Start all over again." Mm. But Moses says, "No, that's not how this works." Mm. Paul shows us that's not how this works. Yeah. Mm. 
And I just can't, I just can't, I can't fail to see that we need to have a more uh, Moses-like heart. Mm, amen. Yeah. In situations where people, even even when situations where people aren't doing right. Yeah. Yep. Amen. I mean, to balance that too, I mean, I think there are situations that come up where you start realizing, okay, this group doesn't want to do the right thing. They don't want to serve God. They don't want to worship God. And so maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a decision you have to come to, but I agree. It, it needs to be something that that needs to be the absolute last ditch effort after, you know, after a while of hoping for the best and assuming right. the best and working with people. I'm not saying that there's not, time, I'm not saying there's not a time to dust off the feet, the, the dust off our feet. Obviously that, that is, not only, but we uh, don't want to jump to that. No, I don't think we do. Yeah, I think absolutely. We absolutely, I think we absolutely. There's a time to say, you know, uh, you know, his blood be on your own heads, or there's a time to say that you know, you have determined yourself as unworthy. Hmm. There's a time to dust off our feet, but there's also yeah. a time to say, look, forgiveness is needed in this. Yeah, Amen. And yep. I will put myself on the line here. I'm, yes. I'm going to take yeah. a hit. Yeah, because yeah, I care yeah. about you people. Yeah, Ephesians chapter four, verses one and two. You know, walking with calling with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And the people were unrestrained too. Uh, I think you know. Again, this might be really obvious. I'll, I'll give another obvious thing. Uh, you know, don't get wrapped up in the fever of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think having that control, you know, if, if, if the people had just kind of, you know, kept in mind, uh, maybe, you know, what if they had come up to Aaron and said, Aaron, you know, can you just help us focus on these things? You know, can you remind us of what God said? Mm. You know, mm. I think things would have gone a lot better. Um, yeah. you know, but, but people get bored with that people. And, and I think, I think part of that is, is what's, what we see happening today People get bored with the the gospel story. People get people get bored with the old old story. But uh, you know the reality is the old old story. That's that's always new. Mm, yeah. uh, it just depends on how we want to look at it. I mean, think about Jesus in the wilderness with Satan quoting these obscure, seemingly totally <laughs> irrelevant yeah. verses from Deuteronomy, and it's like, how deeply had Jesus meditated on God's law? And, and how how related to God's character and his own nature did he understand it to be when he meditated on it to so quickly draw out those obscure. And I mean, if he hadn't quoted those verses, I mean, it's lost as irrelevant. But because mm-hmm. of those quotations, it's like we see it. It's like, oh, wow, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so relevant. But it's only because Jesus had meditated in the right way on God's word to understand the relevance you know, and, and the thing is, I, I'm so lacking in faith that the problem is not that God's word is not rich enough or exciting enough. The problem is that I'm just not seeing it for what it truly is or seeing it for how important and valuable it is. Allow, allow, me, to, allow me to take a slightly different take on that. I believe that they may be obscure for us. I don't know that they were as obscure for these people because mm-hmm. part of what he quotes is the Shema, right. which was not obscure for your average is a uh, Jewish person, yeah. even in the first century. Yeah. So obscure for us, sure. But 
I think that's part of partially our um, our situation is somewhat different. Um, I don't know that they would be necessarily obscure for the the people of the time going to synagogue and even someone who was not Jesus, but grown up in his same culture. Mm. I do think they would have been more familiar. Having said that, I think it is a good demonstration to us about what we might want to consider obscure versus not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to disagree with you, but yeah, from our perspective, they might seem obscure. I don't know that they would have been as obscure to these people. Right. Yeah. We, we do appreciate you listening uh, today. Uh, Again, whatever situation you're in, whether you're driving to work or uh, just listening home, uh, we encourage you to continue in your walk with God. And we hope that this has helped you just a little bit to, uh, to cling maybe closer to him and to think about things that we believe to be eternally important. Um, Bryant and Jeremy, thank you both for uh, mm-hmm. being a part of this. Thank you, Stephen, for all the work you put into this. Thank yeah. you, Brian, for all your prayers. I, I certainly appreciate the, the way that you continue to pray for us and the work we're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's very encouraging. Well, uh, next time, Lord willing, we'll be getting into Exodus 33. Until then, we hope you study well and be lights to God's glory.
The music used in this program is graciously provided by Symphonia. Symphonia is a nonprofit foundation whose purpose is to compose, publish, and promote hymns for congregational worship. Find out more at symphonia.com.